morning, beloved church. My name is Camille Maddock. I'm the associate pastor here at Valencia United Methodist Church. And believe it or not, we are just about halfway through our extended Advent this morning. Now, that feels a little impossible because it's not even December yet. But because Christmas is on a Sunday this year, it means that after today, we only have three more Sundays in Advent. So, now that I've stirred up, let's just call them feelings, uh, in your heart and soul this morning, let me offer a prayer to settle us in. Gracious and loving God, we know you are present with us this morning here and online. May the love of Advent and Christmas help us to know joy as we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. Open our hearts to hear the message you have for us this morning. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord. Amen. Now, our Advent and Christmas uh, series is called The Stories of Christmas. And I don't know about your households, but in our household, Christmas stories take the form of movie storytelling. We watch at least one Christmas movie a day, sometimes more, and we all have our favorites, mostly based on what we grew up watching as kids. My tradition is to watch White Christmas. It simply doesn't feel like Christmas until the sensational duo of Wallace and Davis are lip-syncing to a song about sisters. I grew up watching Danny McKay and Vera Ellen singing and dancing about choreography, listening to Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney sing about counting your blessings instead of sheep. We watched White Christmas at least once each Christmas season, often more than that. And each year when that barn door is finally opened and the snow has finally arrived in Vermont, that's when I know that Christmas is here. Now, for Andy, Christmas begins when Clark Griswold has labored, has endangered his life multiple ways, painstakingly checked the bulb and all the lights, and finally gets the lights to come out on his house. Now, I would also tell you that his favorite, other favorite part of National Lampoon's Christmas vacation involves the Christmas tree lights and a cat, but I don't want you to think poorly of him or worry about the cats that we have at home. Now, the stories that we share at Christmas are important, whether they're read or watched on TV or unpacked like the Bible study, uh, the one on the Grinch that many of our small groups are doing or that Andy and I will start today after worship. These stories of Christmas are important because Christmas is an important part of God's story. For God, Christmas is a love story. Now, I don't mean a love story in the sense of the Hallmark Christmas movies, a story where a young female professional finds herself back home in her quaint and simple small hometown for the holidays. And then a handsome outdoorsy man somehow helps her to have a change of heart and realize the true meaning of Christmas as they fall in love. Christmas is a love story because it's the story of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. It's the story of a God who loved the world so much that he sent his son. In the Gospel of Luke, the Christmas story begins with the, an angel vi visit. First to Zechariah to announce the coming of John the Baptist and then to Mary. So this morning we'll hear the story of Mary from Luke chapter 1 
verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man who was, whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy, and he will be called Son of and now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your will, to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, there's a familiar pattern to this story. It follows many of the Old Testament call stories. There's a greeting followed by a startled reaction, which leads to an exhortation to not be afraid. And then a divine responsibility is given, which is followed by an objection to that responsibility. And then a message of comforting reassurance and a reminder of who God is and what God can do. You see this pattern in the call stories of Moses and Isaiah. It's the pattern of Zechariah's story that's just before Mary's. This particular call story begins as Mary is a young woman. She's likely only 12 or 13, as that was the customary age of betrothal in her day. A young girl at the very cusp of womanhood and adulthood, Mary is in a, is a vastly different place than her cousin Elizabeth would have found herself when she was pregnant with John. Yet Gabriel shows up and announces to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. It's a salutation that sets the tone for the responsibility and the reassurances that are to follow. Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. You know, the church often lifts Mary up as a role model for faithful discipleship. After all, Mary hears the call of God and she responds. She's a role model for faith and obedience, servanthood, discipleship, and hospitality. She's a contemplative disciple who faithfully ponders the message of Gabriel for just a short moment, and then she submits and serves God. She's obedient to God's will, despite how confused she is at first, and she submits to become God's servant. She gives the ultimate gift of hospitality by bearing the Messiah in motherhood. She's celebrated, often without regard for the social and physical strain that would come with being a poor, unwed, young, pregnant girl in her community. And if I'm being honest with you, I struggle with this part of God's story at Christmas. 
I find myself drawn to the story from Mary's perspective. I think about the fear that Mary must have felt. Mary is so young, and there's so much that she doesn't know. When Gabriel first appears, Mary doesn't know that her life is about to be both upended and established forever in history. She does not know that her humble beginnings are indeed worthy of her calling as the mother of the Savior of the world. She does not know that the favor she is granted will not transform to personal gain or popularity or privilege. You and I have heard the whole story. We have the advantage of knowing that the world-altering things that will follow this announcement. But in that first moment for Mary, this is a genuinely surprising and confusing, a scary and unexpected experience. She does not know why or what purpose an angel would have in disrupting what is a very normal course of her life. So it's no wonder that the scriptures describe her as perplexed and that she has to take a moment to ponder what this greeting might mean for her. And as the responsibility becomes known, it gets even harder. She's about to become a young, unwed, pregnant woman. This is going to make life very messy and difficult and possibly very dark. It's going to change the direction of her life significantly. And when we simplify Mary down to a role model of easy and determined service to God, we're missing an important part of the story. Mary's not so much a role model for discipleship as a surrogate for you and me. When I look back at the various ways that God has called me into faithful discipleship and action, more often than not, instead of responding with a quick and a willing yes, instead of responding with steadfast focus and obedience, I tend to respond with uncertainty, with all of my questions and concerns, often with a long list of reasons of why I am unworthy or unable or simply unavailable to answer the call. Sometimes I respond with how messy and difficult and different everything will be if I say yes. So if we slow down, if we really invest in Mary's story, we can see that she responds in a similar way. We like to think, especially at Christmas, that anytime an angel appears, it's a glorious and it's a wonderful experience, but that's not how the story goes. Anytime an angel appears, be it to Joseph, Zechariah, Mary, or the shepherds, it serves as a holy interruption that shifts the course of their life significantly. Unexpectedly, suddenly, in unanticipated ways, these messengers appear and alter what seems to be fixed and predictable paths. Too often, we want to move quickly from Mary's unsettling and unexpected angelic visit to hear her magnificant, her joyful song of praise and thanksgiving for what God is doing through her. But if we move too quickly, we miss an important step. You see, none of this makes sense. Mary, a young, unmarried virgin, a poor, unknown, lowly young maiden from the middle of the countryside is going to give birth to the Messiah. And after being told she would bear the Son of God, her first response is to be unsure of herself, confused about why she's being called upon, and uncertain that she can do any of the things that she's being asked to do. How could this be, she asks. 
Why me in all of God's creation? It took her a little while to get from fear and astonishment at the holy interruption to move forward into joy and thanksgiving. Mary had a lot of questions. We tend to skip over the fact that at first, Mary was fearful and doubtful and suspicious while being amazed. You see, Mary knew that there was nothing extraordinary about her. She knew that she was not a notable individual. She was just a young maiden without remarkable qualities. In fact, we don't know a whole lot about Mary. We don't know her credentials, her qualifications, even her readiness to be a mom. And if Christmas was not God's love story, perhaps things would have worked out differently. A predictable storyline would have had the Savior be born to a royal household or in the capital city or at least to a mother known and admired and respected. Instead, the long-awaited Messiah comes as a baby born to a peasant family in an unlikely corner of the world, far from earthly palaces and courts of honor. Acknowledging this by saying yes to the responsibility God would have of Mary would require her to exit the realm of predictability. And so she asks the angel, how can this be? Now, I don't know about you, but there are plenty of times in my life where I have found myself asking, how can this be? I'm not the type of person who usually welcomes exiting the realm of predictability. I like when things are predictable. Being able to reasonably plan for what might come gives me a great deal of comfort. I like flexibility, but I also love schedules and plans and lists. I want things to happen in a certain way, especially ways that I plan and expect them to go. Truth be told, I want my life to be more predictable than not. I like to at least have the appearance of being in control. When unexpected or an unreasonable or inconvenient or painful things occur, it throws me for a loop, and I'm totally right there with Mary asking, how can this be? Yet in a moment of such uncertainty, God offers Mary and the rest of us reassurances Do not be afraid. God is with you. God is with us. And it's then that Mary is given a reminder of how God makes the impossible possible. And then, it's only after these questions, these concerns, these reassurances and reminders, is Mary able to say yes. Mary says a powerful yes to God and to life and to the whole world. It's after her, yes, that the realization of God's promise to to his people is made will. It is her yes that enables God to become incarnate. When Mary says yes to God, everything changes. So Mary says yes, despite the unknown, despite her fear, despite the uncertainty, because Mary knows her God and knows the vastness and the steadfastness of God's love. She has heard and remembered the story of her people. She she finds her place in this new story of Christmas. For God so loved the world, God becomes incarnate in a baby born to a young virgin maiden. Christmas is a love story from God. The great, the all-powerful, the all-wise, the all-loving God wanting to be seen, wanting to be known, comes to us as a baby laid in a manger. 
It really doesn't make sense to us any more than it did at first to Mary, which is why it's so important to remember that at first she was perplexed, skeptical. She was suspicious and amazed. Gabriel had to tell her to not be afraid. He had to help her remember who God is. She moves from fear and astonishment to courage and then finally to joy. God's story at Christmas is one of love making the impossible possible. Immediately following the part of Mary's story I read this morning, she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, and that's where we get Mary's joy-filled song. She sings as she testifies to the impossible becoming possible. She sings about a God she has always known, the God who shows mercy for those who fear God, who scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, who brings down the powerful from their thrones and lifts up the lowly who fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty, who remembers Abraham and all of his descendants, which now include her forever. Mary sings because she knows more than ever who her God is in the present, who her God will be in the future to come. She knows what her God has done for her, for her cousin Elizabeth, for the outcast, for the overlooked, for those discarded, those disenfranchised, dismissed, for all of the people of God. And she knows what God will continue to make impossible things possible. So in the announcement of this pending birth, Mary learns that God is doing something so astonishing that it would seem impossible to a reasonable human mind. God, the great God of creation, the God of all time and all space, the God in whom there is no beginning and no end, the God beyond our imagining and telling, this amazing God out of love chooses to become flesh, to become one of us in the form of a child to be born. This is God's love story at Christmas. We too can make that movement from uncertainty and fear towards joy. Mary's story invites us to a different way of approaching life. Our questions remain to be sure, but Mary models the kind of reaction we should have to God's disturbances in our lives. She fearfully wonders and ponders She questions and considers. She answers in awe. Mary's reply to God's call reminds us that fear is characteristic of our response to God when God disrupts our lives and our world. But like God did for Mary, God is offering us reassurance. We do not have to be afraid God's story at Christmas reminds us that we can choose to trust something that seems highly improbable and unlikely. God's story of Christmas love affirms that God is with us. God is in our past. God is in our future. God is with us now in this very moment. Now, this Advent season, we may find ourselves looking at the state of the world and wondering how God's hope and peace and joy-filled kingdom will come to be. Mary's story is a reminder of the power of God to turn expectations and predictions on their ends and to bring new life out of unexpected places at the most unexpected times. I want to end by reading a, a poem from the great writer Madeline Langle. Her poem is called First Coming, and it goes like this. 
He did not wait till the world was ready, till men and nations were at peace. He came when the heavens were unsteady and prisoners cried out for release. He did not wait for the perfect time. He came when the need was deep and great. He dined with sinners in all their grime, turned water into wine. He did not wait till hearts were pure. In joy he came to a tarnished world of sin and doubt, to a world like ours of anguished shame. He came and his light would not go out. He came to a world which did not mesh to heal its tangles, shield its scorn. In the mystery of the word made flesh, the maker of the stars was born. We cannot wait till the world is sane to raise our song with joyful voice. For to share our grief, to touch our pain, he came with love. Rejoice, rejoice. You and I may not be blessed by a reassuring and encouraging angel visit just like Mary experienced, but we can feel a stirring in our soul that calls us to respond with our own yes to God, exiting the realm of predictability and finding our way forward to a new future with God. We too can remember who God is in our past and look joyfully forward to who God will continue to be in our future. We do not have to be afraid because if we believe that God has brought justice into the world, we can live into that justice. We do not have to be afraid because if we believe that God has brought healing into the world, we can live that healing and share in making the world more whole. We do not have to be afraid because if we believe that God brings love into the world, we can live into that love. We do not have to be afraid because we believe in a God who is present with us in all of our messy and dark moments, and that means that we can live a life of joy. So rejoice, people of God. Rejoice. Join me in a moment of prayer.